0: Listening to Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life. A podcast about living with more joy, energy, and flow. So if you feel your life could be more fulfilling, healthy, and joyful, you're in the right place.
1: Obesity, depression, autoimmune disorders, cancers, Gluten sensitivity, diabetes, endocrine disruption, autism, chronic illness, neurodegenerative diseases. The list is so very long. What's happening and why are we experiencing a huge growth in such a large variety of illnesses, especially chronic illnesses? Many of you have probably not yet heard of glyphosate, the active ingredient in the herbicide roundup. Roundup was developed to kill the plant it is sprayed on, like weeds. GMO crops are specifically engineered to withstand being sprayed with Roundup. They are considered Roundup-ready. Almost everyone has some knowledge of GMOs, but hardly anyone knows that Roundup glyphosate is now sprayed on the majority of conventionally grown grains in North America. It's also used as a supposedly safe weed killer by cities and households across North America. This podcast episode is dedicated to understanding how glyphosate is affecting the environment, farm animals, and humans from the perspectives of a well-researched, experienced organic farmer and a well-researched, experienced functional medicine doctor. You'll find fascinating, cutting-edge information that will help you make informed choices in your nutrition and health care. We'll begin with how the soil and grains are affected and how they've changed over the last 50, 60 years. David Stelzer is a pioneer of healthy soils and organic foods. His family has farmed in the Pacific Northwest for over 100 years. He's the founder and CEO of Azure Standard, a leading producer and nationwide distributor of natural, organic, and non-GMO foods. And by the way, Azure Standards is one of my favorite places to buy my organic products. David first started farming organically as a teenager in the 1970s. And his passion for providing nourishing, healthful foods grown in healthy soil without the use of harmful chemicals has only continued to grow. Hi, David. Hi. I'm so excited to have you on my podcast. I'm really uh I'm really looking forward to this conversation.
2: Oh my pleasure. Happy to be.
1: Oh, thank you. Um, I'd like, if, if you don't mind, I do this to all my guests. So uh, I'd like you to begin just by giving us a little bit of whatever you'd like to share of your journey, um, and, uh, kind of the path that, that you've taken to get where you are now. And then we'll get into glyphosate.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, my path started very, uh, very young in my life. Um, I, as a very, very young child, I got extremely ill. And um, mostly an asthmatic type condition, only in a very extreme way.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, the medical establishment had given me up. They said uh, there wasn't much chance that I would live.
1: Oh, my goodness. And yes.
2: my parents uh, wouldn't accept that as an answer. And they began looking in other places for, for help.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And mm-hmm. so... Fairly early on in my life, and they finally found a naturopathic doctor up near Spokane that diagnosed what the issue was. But this is several years in. My earliest memories are laying there wheezing on the couch trying to just figure out if I could catch another breath.
1: Oh, my goodness. How horrible. So,
2: <laughs> so my parents, I mean, they, they kind of were the first pioneers with this. And so they, the, this naturopath told them it was, it was primarily an allergy condition. Mm-hmm. And told them that uh, it was the worst dairy allergy and sugar allergy that they had ever that he'd ever seen in his life. And I still to this day have the very worst of dairy allergies,
0: mm-hmm.
2: sugar thing. You know, I stay away from sugar as much as possible, but it doesn't it doesn't take me down with one bite. Where mm-hmm. um, so anyway, I kind of had to grow up different anyway with this very extreme allergy. And my parents, that started them on this health journey. So they began to, to understand the difference um, that it made because I got well, they started eating differently, health issues that they had got better. My grandpa started basically, Spread it to him. He changed his diet. He got well from heart disease that he had had. <laughs> Suddenly, all these things got better. So it became a big thing. And my, my dad finally says, oh, I'm doing this to ourselves with this soil thing. So he decided, hey, I'm not using chemicals again. And that was in 1973. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the this farm, the last time it ever had any sort of a chemical on it was in 1973. So, this farm has never had a glyphosate on it um, a single time. Mm-hmm,
1: so, mm-hmm. that's kind of where the health
2: journey started.
1: Mm-hmm. Where do you? What do you grow on your farm?
2: Well, we grow uh, 85 different things now, but at that time, it was primarily... Um, it was a wheat and cattle ranch, primarily. Okay. So, he did, you know, did wheat and cows. And so... It was, um, you know, it was pretty mainstream. It was a somewhat of a small farm for wheat and cattle at the time. It was about two thousand acres. Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, you're in Oregon, right?
2: We are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're in Oregon. Um, about a hundred miles east of Portland, I tell folks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> but it said it, it was basically the first commercially commercial size or larger farm. There were a lot of what we called hippie farms back then, um, <laughs> yes. that were doing a little bit of organic stuff, but they were all very small gardens, that sort of thing. He was pretty much the first, um, commercial size farm to switch to a hundred percent organic practices. And so basically, uh, you know, I took that, I took that on. I was super interested in farming, um, growing grains and, and I actually expanded it into vegetables and fruits and other things uh early on. But then one year we lost uh we were farming on contract to a particular company and we lost that contract after we planted the crop. They came to us and said, I'm sorry, we have to renege on the contract. And so we basically and I was I don't know, twenty one years old or something at the time. And so basically we had a choice to either you know, sue or do something like that. Cause we did have a contract or try to pick up the pieces and sell it the best we could. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got started in natural food marketing, selling our own uh, first cra- uh, crop of grain back in the, um, in the mid eighties. So it has your, uh, you know, so I've, been involved with, uh, organic food marketing ever since we sold organic food from a lot of other farmers as well as manufacturers and other people now. And, um, so, so Azure kind of grew, I was, you know, just running around selling flour and grain out of the back of my pickup as a farmer to now, you know, we cover like 37 states. So that, that's my journey. Uh, As from a you know from a personal perspective,
1: mm-hmm. you definitely turned lemons into lemonade because you have a fantastic operation there. And I've been let's see, I've been ordering. I started with a small private co-op outside of Portland before I moved to British Columbia, so that would have been maybe 2010, and then. Okay. um and then i i found out that i could still order from you and go down to washington state and pick pick up orders so i usually do like two really big big orders um a year <laughs> awesome. and cuz it's a a long process to get down there but i mean, i really rely on the quality and the the variety of foods that you provide and i'm very grateful Nice. so let's get into if we may get into our topic of glyphosate. So you are going to be the, the first half of this podcast episode talking from your expertise to how glyphosate affects the soils and affects the grains. And then Dr. Matt Flory is going to be talking about how glyphosate affects the human body and the gut microbiome and our health and well-being. So I'm very excited to have you on and to have your expertise. So take it away.
2: Okay. So maybe we'll start with with wheat. Now wheat has, you know, and glyphosate has a big has a big story in wheat, even though wheat is not genetically modified and sprayed on like corn and soybeans. Mm-hmm. But let's, you know, wheat is obviously. Uh, it's been historically. It's been the staff of life. Civilizations have been built on wheat. The Fertile Crescent was completely civilized based on wheat. That was the difference in between civilization and the nomadic tribes was wheat. Mm-hmm. It's an you know it's an amazing thing. Uh, there's evidence that humans have been eating wheat for well over a million years. We don't know, but we do know that we have modern wheat similar to what we have it now for at least four to 5,000 years. Mm -hmm. So it's an old staple in the diet. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Now, right now, we have this huge movement away from wheat. So we're talking, you know, there's books been written, there's a lot of doctors recommending staying away from wheat, and a lot of people tend to get better. When they quit eating wheat from various ailments. Mm-hmm. And that's real. So why is this? And this is the question that I'd like to answer a little bit today is why, what is the big, uh, problem with wheat, you know, with wheat in the diet? And we can go into other, other crops as well, but let's start with wheat because it's probably the most dramatic of all the crops mm-hmm. in in this space.
1: Well, you know, I've been really puzzled by this myself because humans have been eating wheat for centuries. It seems like all of a sudden, practically everyone is gluten sensitive. Um, or has, you know, all kinds of, of problems with wheat. And before I knew about glyphosate or, you know, some of the other, uh, reasons, I, I thought what something's going on here. This isn't just a fluke. There's some reason that, that so many people are having problems with wheat now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, there's, there's very much a reason. And it's a kind of a double edged sword. It's a double whammy that we took. And so for just, a little bit of history on wheat, wheat, obviously, you know, another thing about wheat, it's of all the food crops that are readily available, you know, excluding a few cactuses and things like that. Wheat is the best converter of water of any plant that's widely known, used for food consumption.
0: Hmm, So you can,
2: you can grow it in drier areas on less water than pretty much any other crop, with a you know, every, definitely than any major food crop, and almost there's just a few very minor ones that are better uh, converters of water to nutrients. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, when back in the in the fifties, there was a group of scientists that said, "Hey, we're having an exploding population on the Earth." we've got to come up with a way to feed this burgeoning population it you know and the trend was that way it didn't quite materialize to the, in the way that they expected but they came up with what they called at the time the green revolution and most of us may have heard of that um, you know historically mm-hmm. so now or, we have or some
1: the- of us lived through it <laughs>
2: Some of you, some of us lived through it, yeah. So we have the green, the green revolution. Well, these scientists, the main crop that they focused on, I mean, they did focus on some other crops, but wheat was number one. It was the very first crop and the most focused on crop by these scientists. So, and the way that they were looking to increase yield on wheat. So wheat back the the ancient the older varieties, you know, under good agricultural practices, you know, they typically yielded some thirty bushel per acre or something along those lines.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Maybe a little, you know, a little more. You'd ha- you'd see fifty bushel crops from time to time, but that was an amazing, you know, set of circumstances to make that happen. And you know, after World War Two they came up with anhydrous ammonia, anhydrous is a, a gas that is creates a ready source of nitrogen to a plant. Mm-hmm. Now, it's 100% artificial, and it has no other nutrients in it, but it has nitrogen.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So nitrogen is the growth regulator of any plant. Right. So the more nitrogen you put on, the bigger the plant gets. So they started playing with using anhydrous ammonia on wheat crops to increase yields. And sure enough, it would. But the thing was, it increased the size of the wheat so much that those wheats would grow too tall. And the stem, you know, because it's just nitrogen, didn't have enough of the rest of the minerals to create the cellulose. The mm-hmm. the wheat would tip over. Uh-huh. So it would fall, it would just fall on the ground. And a lot of times it would crimp the pipe. So it couldn't get any more moisture up the pipe. And it would shrivel the head and they would get no crop whatsoever if it fell over too early. Got it. Which was, which was happening. So they developed, so they began breeding and traditionally this is not genetically modified. Mm -hmm. It's through hybridization and, and uh, traditional breeding practices. They began to try to develop stocky short wheats.
0: Uh So they Uh
2: call those semi dwarf wheats. Now, They were successful in doing that. They created a variety, and they began to come out in the 60s and 70s, all these these semi-dwarf varieties of wheat. And so the farmers then began planting these semi-dwarf varieties, and they began using large amounts of anhydrous ammonia on the crop to increase yield.
1: Now, uh, and, just, just a moment, David, uh, just for my clarification and maybe others. Was this being sprayed on or was it being uh, just put in the soil?
2: Anhydrous, it's a gas. It's so a they, gas. They put it in the soil. They have to actually bubble it into the soil, underneath the soil.
0: Oh, interesting. So they,
2: they have these little springs, and you'll see it. I mean, they still do it to this day. Huh. Uh, and a lot, of, a lot of wheat ground. It's used super readily and corn as well. But, yeah, they have a big like gas tank looks like a big propane tank on the back of the cart they pull behind their tractor and then they have these little like we call them spring tooths, but they're like curved springs that go in the ground and then they're in the middle of that there's a little pipe with emitters and it emits this gas underneath the soil oh. and they normally do that right before planting the crop
1: okay i have seen trucks with the Or tractors or whatever with the with the big containers on them. I just had no idea what they were for.
2: Yeah. That's what that's what that is. That's for anhydrous ammonia. Um and you know it's it's so back when they tried to put a little bit of nitrogen on wheat, you know, some of the farmers they could increase yields a little bit with nitrogen. They might put on twenty pounds of nitrogen per acre the crop would grow big, they would get a little better yield, and they had a pretty good chance that it would probably stay standing up, or at least most of it.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. So, But after the semi-dwarf varieties came in, now you don't have to stop at 20 pounds of nitrogen. In today's world, in the semi-dwarf varieties, they often put on 80 to 100 pounds of nitrogen per acre.
1: Oh, wow. And And that's because the plant's shorter, so it's not going to topple over.
2: Right. So it's the growth regulator. It pushes a lot of growth early. And because it's semi-dwarf anyway, it genetically won't grow very tall. Then a lot of that growth goes into the fruit, to the fruiting, to the head. Got it. Okay. So now we have farmers putting on. And you got to remember, this is one nutrient. For a healthy plant, there's... 72 minerals that we know of, 72 different nutrients that fall in. And believe it or not, in a human body, our body needs roughly 72 minerals as well.
1: And so, all only one is getting put on
2: it. Only one right? is getting put on it's the growth regulator. All right, so the um, so. What happens in a plant that has a lot of anhydrous ammonia or extra nitrogen available to it, it begins to grow really quick off the get-go. So Mm. it comes up quick, fast, and early. Now, it shoots up, creates that stock, puts the grain in. The very first amino acid that develops in grain, in wheat particularly, but pretty much in all grain, is the Mm L-glutamine. So, basically, it's the form of protein that is gluten. Okay. And the thing is, and that form of protein is also the one that is most readily converted from nitrogen. Very few other proteins will convert from nitrogen, but the gluten will.
1: So, what happens to the other proteins?
2: you have a completely uh completely devoid amino acid chain.
0: Wow. It's not
2: there. So they might say, you know, and wheat typically runs anywhere from nine to eighteen percent protein, depending on the variety and the growing conditions.
1: Okay.
2: Now you've got nine to eighteen percent protein still, but it's all for the most part one amino acid. The rest of the amino acid is completely missing. There's uh so wow. Wow.
1: when
2: our when our body consumes that, it's out of balance. We need a complex amino acid chain in order to develop healthy, you know, muscles and fiber and in our in our body that the protein is used for.
1: Absolutely,
2: proteins the building blocks of the of the body for us or animals or whatever. And when that's a completely um, devoid amino acid chain, the body already has this huge excess. It doesn't have enough of the uh, other amino acids from other sources to compensate for that amino acid.
1: So, what happens to the L glutamate then do you know, in the body, since it's out of balance and there's way too much of it, and we can't use it because our body needs to have the other amino acids uh, they all work together
2: so the body has to throw it off or it tries to throw it off mm. and And so you tend to think you need to eat more because you're not getting enough protein, and of course, the starch is still in the in the wheat
0: mm. so.
2: Hence, wheat belly, fat, obesity, et cetera, that wheat is a big contributor to because it doesn't have the balancing protein that we need for, for a healthy body. Now, now we get to the to the glyphosate. Mm-hmm. So later, so this is late 80s, early 90s glyphosate enters the scene in a big way. Um, And most of the wheat that is used for bread, that's not the wheat, that's not here, but most of the wheat that's used for bread is grown in the northern tier of the Midwest. So we're talking the Dakotas, Montana, and the vast majority, Canada. Mm -hmm. All right. So in those areas wheat even though it's relatively short season those are pretty short season areas mm-hmm. they don't have a very long growing season and they they have trouble maturing the wheat all the way out so traditionally they went in and they swathed the wheat in other words they cut it with a with a header and they put it in rows on the ground and let it dry So the because standing up, it was still pulling moisture out of the soil, and it was staying wet. And in order for wheat to to uh, keep the the moisture content has to be say you know below eleven percent moisture in the grain. Otherwise, it won't store. It'll get musty or you know not taste. You know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you don't want mold in the wheat. No. You know no nobody wants that. So in order for it to keep, you have to get the moisture down to roughly, you know, 11% or lower. So if that, you know, they have to cut it off from its source of pulling moisture out of the ground in order for that to happen. Mm -hmm. But it's two two times over the field. So they had to go cut it and then they had to take a combine in and they have to cut it kind of low. So then they have to run more straw through the combine, and they bring a pickup header, what we call a pickup header. It's like a baler pickup on a combine to run Mm -hmm. the grain through the combine. And it would occasionally pick up a little rock or something like that with it because the stuff's laying on the ground. So they came up with this really bright idea. We can do this better. So what they do now and started doing and do almost universally now in conventional wheat fields is that you go in, as soon as that wheat is formed in the head and it's ready to start drying down, instead of swatting it, you go in and you spray glyphosate on the field. And remember, this is wheat that's almost ready to harvest. Mm
0: -hmm. So you go in, you
2: spray the glyphosate on, and the wheat dies. It cuts off the nutrient flow from the root so it dries standing in the field.
0: Mhm.
2: Now and is this
1: is this glyphosate is it in is it actually is it Roundup that's being sprayed or is this separated out and in a different carrier?
2: No, Roundup is the most readily available and the cheapest. So Okay. It's just a, you know, it's just a different dilution of Roundup most of the time. Okay. There are other products available, but they're still with the same base. Okay. Um but Roundup is by far the most common. Mm-hmm. So you're spraying Roundup right on the crop. It and wheat. You got to remember. I mean, it's it all. It thrashes free. It doesn't have a real strong husk. Right. There is there is definitely some husk in it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's chaff. That's what we call it. Chaff. Wheat mm-hmm. has chaff, and it's really thin. It's like paper. That's what you say you throw. You know the. Chaff blows away in the wind. You throw the you winnow Mm -hmm. the wheat, and the chaff blows away. It's not very big. It's like super thin, you know, way thinner than paper, like tissue paper, Mm -hmm. kind of thinness. So the chaff is very thin. It doesn't offer a lot of protection when that glyphosate or Roundup is sprayed on that plant.
1: Great. I was wondering about that. How much of it actually soaks through? Uh, into the b- wheat berry?
2: Quite a bit. And some wheats, actually, you can actually even see the grain. The tip of the grain peeks out of the chaff.
1: Nice. Uh,
2: as does rye as well.
1: Mm-hmm, rye
2: mm-hmm. is almost completely out, It just, it's kind of just stuck in there.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: completely open to the air. And a lot of wheats are as well. They're, you know, different varieties are a little bit different, but there's not a lot of protection. Mm hmm. So you're pretty much spraying that glyphosate right on the grain. Mm -hmm. So now we have a situation where first of all, you've got, you've got grain already that's been pushed with anhydrous Mm -hmm. to the point where the amino acid chain is completely simple, mostly gluten. Then you've got, you put this roundup on here. Now roundup, In and of itself, does not kill plants. Nor does glyphosate. Mm -hmm. It what it does is it ties up minerals in the soil and in the base of the in the root system of the plant.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So it makes minerals not able to be assimilated. And there's terms for that, but we'll just say it ties them up. Okay. So the plant can't absorb the minerals they call it a form of chelation. Mm -hmm. And so the plant doesn't die from Roundup. It dies from disease. And so there's a very handy disease that's pretty much prevalent everywhere in the plant world called Fusarium wilt.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Now Fusarium wilt is readily available in the soil and the air almost everywhere. So as soon as... The plant can no longer take up minerals, and there's one particular mineral that prevents Fusarium wilt, and that's manganese.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Now, when it ties up, so Roundup is specifically designed to go after manganese, tying up manganese. (laughs) So because the plant immune system absolutely has to have manganese to stay alive from Fusarium wilt. So basically what happens is it ties up the manganese in the soil and it ties up a fair number of other minerals as well, but it's specifically ta- targeted on manganese. Mm-hmm. And then the plant dies, the fusarium wilt. That's how it works. So now you bring that into the body, the human body. Mm-hmm. What What is it... What is it doing? So first of all, you've got this incomplete amino acid chain, Mm -hmm. super heavy uh, gluten. Now you have a substance that's mixed with that, that ties up minerals, Mm -hmm. specifically designed to tie up minerals.
1: And it will also tie up minerals in the body then?
2: Well, it's not really the, it's the it's the microbiome in the body. Right. So that's what it affects. I mean, the human body digestive system in the soil is very similar. Mm -hmm. We, it has to have, um, we only assimilate our food because of the microbiome. Plants only get nutrients because other plants, minerals, volcanic ash, whatever's in the soil is broken down by microbes, Mm -hmm. digestive microbes. That's what's in the soil. So in order to keep the manganese from being delivered to the plant, it ties it up at the microbe level. Mm -hmm. That's where the the tie-up is. So the microbes are similar enough, and yes, it's not designed for human microbiome, but it does, they're similar enough that the microbes then become starved for minerals and they cannot deliver the minerals to your body that your body needs especially to create proper proper proteins
0: mm-hmm.
2: and to be able to digest your food properly so now you have a double whammy so you've got you've got to add extra nutrients minerals and proteins in order to have for the body to be able to use that gluten that ex all that extra gluten and convert it to muscles and and energy mm-hmm. But now you have the minerals being tied up by, at the microbiome level in your, in your gut. So you can't digest the minerals that come in your food, the few that you get.
1: Mm-hmm. And so you're probably wasting all the supplements you're taking too, the minerals and the supplements, because your body can't use them.
2: That's a big part of the whole glyphosate um, deal. Is that yeah, it's tying up the minerals from here to there. So basically with gluten, what happens if you if that happens long enough, then your body says, This is poison, I can't take it, and it creates an autoimmune response. So we have roughly right now one percent of the population of the United States is is full-blown celiac. Wow. They are absolutely deadly allergic to wheat, right? The mm-hmm. body has created an autoimmune response. Its immune system kicks in and you get sick as a dog if you eat wheat
0: mm-hmm.
2: in any form or other, you know, similar grains with any kind of gluten in it because it sees that gluten and protein complex without the proper complex or even with it at that point, once you get the autoimmune response it's going to take some time to build that microbiome back. So somebody with celiac disease, I believe it's curable, mm-hmm. but I think it's going to take some time. And the only way to cure it is through the microbiome. It's through the bacteria.
1: Right. So um, do, do all uh, grains have glutamate in them? L-glutamate? No. No. Okay.
2: No. No, not all grains do. Um, but I believe that there's incomplete proteins and amino acids in other grains as well. Mm. I just don't, you know, that's not my, my research um, area because I've been more of a wheat farmer, Okay. but, um, there are grains, uh, for instance, uh, rice has no gluten in it at all.
1: Oh, great. Right. I was thinking Um, more like rye, um, quinoa, well,
2: quinoa. Quinoa does not. Quinoa is has no gluten in it. Rye does. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Barley does. Corn has a little bit different kind of gluten. Some people can handle corn gluten when they can't handle wheat gluten, Mm -hmm. but their corn also has gluten in it, but it's, it's a slightly different form and sometimes it'll trick the body, but that huge allergies. Uh, Corn, you know, you could tell almost the same story with corn, except instead of them using it on it to kill the crop at the end, they use, they create Roundup ready corn so they can kill all the weeds and spray it right on the growing corn crop and kill mm-hmm. the wheat underneath the corn. So it's the same substance.
1: Right. And, mo- but that's something most people know about. I mean, most people now know about GMO crops and how they're engineered to, to be used with Roundup. I've been finding in just asking around, most people have no idea that non GMO crops any non-GMO crop is sprayed with Roundup as a desiccant.
2: Yeah, that happens, you know, yeah, all over in the northern tier. So wheat, barley, oats, peas sometimes, um, a lot of those kinds of crops this is used on.
1: From your research, what would you say the percentage of non-organic let's let's just go with wheat because that's what so many, you know, we all eat are sprayed with glyphosate to round up as a desiccant.
2: No, if it's, no, of course, if it's organic, it's not. Right. But um, so that's definitely one way. But, you know, in the prairies, there's, I mean, there's not a lot of space in between the organic field and the conventional one. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: there's not, so, you know, even with organic, you know, there is slight amounts of glyphosate showing up in organic crops. We do have to, you know, definitely be aware of that. Um, but it's 100% better than conventional. Right. Um, I
1: mean, I read an article, the farmer um, asked to be anonymous, but he's a grain farmer in Saskatchewan. And he said that 90% of, and I, I can't remember now if it's just wheat or grains, um, are sprayed with glyphosate as a desiccant before they're harvested.
2: I I have no reason to dispute that.
1: Number.
2: That aren't organic, of course. They're, yeah, of course. Um, I, I don't know 100. percent In Canada, it's probably at least that high. In the U.S., there's certain varieties of wheat. You know, for instance, you know, uh, soft white winter wheats. Mm-hmm. Typically, they don't spray that with with Roundup as a mm-hmm. desiccant. Mm-hmm. Now they'll spray. The field, it's still loaded with Roundup in a lot of ways because they'll do what they call Kim Fallow. So they'll spray the, the whole field with Roundup before they even plant the, you know, right before they plant the crop. Oh. And sometimes they'll spray it all summer long and just keep it absolutely dead, dry and, and desolate. And then they plant into it in the late fall for a winter wheat crop, but they don't spray on top of it right before harvest because the season is long enough that they don't need to, and it's just an added expense.
0: Got it. So there's
2: no reason to do it. You know, in in the wheat country, you know, right near us here, they use Roundup a lot, but not as a desiccant, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: not to knock the crop out because we still have three weeks of, usually at wheat harvest, there's a good three to four weeks of summer left. Mm -hmm. So we've got a little bit of time to spare before the rains come in, you know, you rains don't usually hit here till at least mid-September. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and usually you're harvesting wheat the last week of July. So you've got all the whole month of August as a buffer. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's there's plenty of time and it's just an added expense. So most people don't do it. Uh, I've seen it done on some spring crops and stuff, but it's not the norm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: However, a little further north, it happens everywhere. Mm
1: -hmm. Got it, because of the shorter season. Um, So what happens to the health of the soil?
2: Okay, so we talked about glyphosate and the health of the soil. So remember, you know, glyphosate ties up minerals. Right. It also, microbes, soil microbes is what creates nutrients for plants naturally, Mm -hmm. which you're not putting them on from an artificial source outside, then microbes is what, what creates that. All energy is created through photosynthesis, right? Mm -hmm. There Mm -hmm. is no, the only way life exists on earth is because there's this little thing called a chlorophyll that converts sunlight and water into sugar, mm-hmm. okay, and that's the miracle of life. If you really, you know, in my opinion, if you get right down to it, if you ever look for the source of life on Earth, that's the that's the place to look. What created the little chlorophyll? Mm-hmm. Chlorophyll is the basis of all life. Well, chlorophyll, you know, converts sunlight. Uh, to sugar. Microbes are no different than any other living organism. They have to have an energy source to live. Okay. That energy source has to come from sugars of some sort. Okay. So in a healthy, in a healthy environment, a healthy plant, if you will, mm-hmm. um, when it's creating, you know, sugar out of its photosynthetic process, it, uh, it takes its sugar and it, delivers it roughly in four equal parts, to different parts of the plant. So about a quarter of the sugar is used to to create root growth, a quarter of it used to create plant growth, a quarter of it used to create seed or fruit, and a quarter of it actually exfoliates out the root system to feed the microbes because it's a symbiotic relationship. Uh Okay. Got it. So, and not only is that in your crops, but the weeds do it too. Mm, and there's mm-hmm, also mm-hmm. another little, it's, it's a little microscopic algae that grows in the soil that is the largest producer of sugar for microbes. Mm. Well, guess what glyphosate kills?
1: <laughs> Probably kills that
2: poor little kills algae. That. Kills that poor little algae um, that creates the, the bulk of the sugar for the, the growth of the microbes. So you add in, now you have a less healthy plant because it's being pushed with nitrogen and all that. Well, the first place it's going to cut off, if it's not producing enough sugar, the first cut is the sugar that goes out into the roots. It cuts Mm -hmm. off the microbes first before it cuts off its own reproduction system. Mm
0: -hmm. So it,
2: Mm -hmm. it gives fruit even though it, it no longer gives sugar to the microbes because it's stressed. It doesn't have enough ability to produce, to produce sugar because it's unhealthy. It's Mm -hmm. not a, not a happy plant. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: So over, over periods of time, when glyphosate is used, it's tying up these minerals in the soil. And it's, in spite of what Monsanto tries to tell people, its half-life is not fast. It stays in the soil for a long time.
1: What's a long and time?
2: Year, many years. We don't, there's nobody really knows how long it stays in the soil. Okay. The, the answer is not clear cut. Now, I'm of the strong opinion that it varies primarily based on the microbe level that's a, that's present in the soil. Mm-hmm. So if you're mm-hmm. able to mm-hmm. introduce microbes back into the soil, because it's hard on microbe population, mm-hmm. you know, and if you do, you know, if you look from studies that have been done on what we call plate counts, which is the number of microbes in the soil. Okay. You know, in a healthy healthy soil, so you take, you know, roughly a handful of soil, just um, take a nice, big, deep, double handful of soil. In that double handful of soil, there should be roughly as many microbes as there are humans on Earth, wow. including okay. the bacteria, the nematodes, the protozoa, the everything. hmm So you're talking, you know, you should have plate counts what we call plate counts, that's the count in that cup of soil Mm -hmm. um, of how many bacteria in it, you should have plate counts of around 6 billion for even close to healthy soil. We have seen plate counts in some of the fields under, um, you know, heavy herbicide use as low as 300.
1: Oh my goodness. So it sounds like the soil's being murdered. I mean, killed
2: isn't it is it? it's being slowly tortured and killed so how
1: time. how can anything grow in it eventually well it
2: becomes almost hydroponic ah. and that's exactly what's happening with um, you know with a lot of the soil it just becomes something to hold the plant up so now instead of just adding anhydrous they have to add other things mm-hmm. and there we go Because the plant won't. So now we're looking at N, P, and K. Right. Now you know we're having to look at boron. Mm
1: -hmm. They're having to Mm -hmm. look
2: at you know various things in order to get these crops to grow.
1: But nitrogen, potassium, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium are aren't all the minerals that are needed. I mean, we need. uh, What did you say? Did you say seventy two?
2: Seventy two that are known.
1: So there's three more. What about all the rest of them?
2: They're hybriding plants to grow without them. Uh, That's the bottom line. So we're creating hybrid plants that don't need the rest of the minerals to grow. The problem is humans and animals can't hybrid that fast to live without those minerals.
1: So if they don't need those minerals to grow, that means those minerals are also not in the end product of, of the, the plant, the grain, the wheat, the barley, whatever.
2: That's absolutely correct. And that's why we find that people have to supplement, supplement their minerals and vitamins. So why are you taking, you know, now you got to take a bunch of pills to get what should be in your food naturally. Wow no reason that everything you need for health is not in your food. That's where we're intended to get it from. Right. It should all be there. It's not anymore. So in order to stay even somewhat healthy, we start supplementing. We take minerals out of, you know, other things. Humic shale is a big source of minerals. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. minerals that were absorbed by plants millions of years ago in composted, in you know, and becomes humic shale mm-hmm. those are the kinds of places we're pulling our minerals from now, because back then you know the plants uptook the minerals like they were supposed to now, with modern agriculture practices, not that our plants can't they're still the same they haven't changed they can They can uptake all of those minerals in a healthy environment. Mm-hmm. They just don't because of the reasons we 're just talking about the imbalance. And then of course adding in the glyphosate and you know, glyphosate is not the only nasty chemical that's being used. You know, it's just right. the one we happen to be talking about today and it's probably the worst.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, a, a agronomist that I know, a friend, um, you know, a friend that I know that's a leading agronomist, his, his uh, feeling is he says in 50 years from now, uh, our descendants will look back and, and look at lights of faith the same way we look at DDT today. Mm, mm-hmm. We just haven't, she he says, we just haven't found Rachel Carson yet.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So everyone is eating all of these wonderful baked goods and products made from non-organic wheat, and they're getting very little sustenance from it.
2: Very little sustenance. Plus, they're getting a little load of glyphosate and way too much gluten, and their body eventually is going to create an autoimmune response. Right. And and so the key, if you want to prevent that from happening in your life, mm-hmm. the key is number one: move to all organic grains. Mm-hmm. Grains are probably the most or the most important thing that you can move to an organic. And, you know, we've always heard vegetables and dairy. I'm, and nothing against, you know, that's important. Nothing against vegetables and dairy. I eat organic vegetables, too. But grain is probably the most important thing.
1: So if you have to make a choice, maybe because of your financial situation, or, you know, there could be a number of factors. The grains, your baked goods, anything made with wheat or uh, barley or rye, you're better off to make sure that those are organic.
2: I think those are the very most important. They're also the ones that are less expensive to buy than mm-hmm. vegetables and dairy mm-hmm. in general. Um, you know, and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to advocate conventional vegetables in any sense
0: right you know yeah.
2: there's glyphosate used in vegetable production too mm-hmm. um, and there are even some genetically modified vegetables now that they right. can spray that directly on so uh, you know i'm a strong proponent of organic vegetables but it's even more important in a lot of ways for this for this exact reason because the grains are going to do the most damage to the the micro the Biology or the the microbiome that's in your system than these other ones are, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. and
2: that's the really really important piece here. Yet, how important is it to have a healthy digestive system? So, these autoimmune diseases, you know, I believe that it also is a huge contributor to other autoimmune diseases that aren't necessarily celiacs.
1: Oh, Things absolutely. That,
2: um, you know, and most of those autoimmune diseases start in the digestive system. Right. Period.
1: Right. Obesity, diabetes, all, all of the autoimmune diseases. All whether you're those, talking about I mean, um, all the way lupus, Parkinson's, disease. MS, uh, the list is, is
2: long. Yeah, um, and they're, they're all, you know, seriously tied to the microbiome.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And the microbiome is tied to what we eat in a big way.
1: So grains that are grown organically, not only do they not have the pesticides, if the soil is treated properly so that it's feeding the plant everything that it needs, the organic grains should have the full complement of amino acids that it should have and the minerals and everything that the body needs um, exogenously to process it.
2: Well, yeah, well, I will say, you know, I'm not going to say that that's absolutely the case um, always mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the chances are a hundredfold better that it will, mm-hmm. but it's not a perfect system anyway. You know, organic only really deals with what's not in the food, not with what's in it. Just,
1: mm, I never thought of that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So organic,
2: mm-hmm. you don't use this, 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 and this. There's nothing saying that you have to use this. you can be organic by default now it's not a very profitable thing to do, so from an economic perspective, not a lot of organic farmers treat their soil that way mm-hmm. but by the definition of the rules, you can okay, just so I get that out there i'm a I'm a huge organic fan uh the locals call me the organic guy <laughs> but There's, there, the definition of organic in and of itself does not guarantee nutrient rich food.
1: Okay. It definitely
2: is a huge step in the right direction, but it's, you know, what we really need to do. And, you know, it's not an easy thing to do, but we really should be selling food based on its nutrient content. Right. And I think, I think the future of food will move in that direction. We'll be looking at food based on, you know, how many, how many minerals does this food have in it? How complex is the amino acid chain? You know, and besides amino acid chain, and and I know this is probably a whole nother podcast, Mm -hmm. but you could, you could talk about the um, complexity of the sugars.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: So, Mm -hmm. you know, a, a monosaccharide versus a polysaccharide. Right, right. And that, is a whole nother study in and of itself. And, you know, we touched on a little bit with, with the uh, you know, the process, the photosynthetic process that creates sugar from, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: you know um, from plants, but that sugar is not all created equally either. Right. So Mm -hmm. that's probably the first place that we could start a testing program. And, you know, it's not really in place, Mm
0: -hmm. but I think Mm
2: -hmm. that's the direction that we will be going in the future We'll be looking at selling nutrient dense food. What kind of, what kind of bricks or what kind of sugar content are we looking at in this food? Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. how much of that is uh, simple sugars like fructose and glucose? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And how much is our complex
0: complex. Mm
2: -hmm. sugars? So again, you know, the more complex the sugar, the more are the human microbiome can utilize it Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the more that we can actually use it for energy and what we really need to, we eat these simple sugars. It just kicks it to the bloodstream and we get fun things like diabetes.
1: Right. Right. So David, to wrap up, what might be, uh, my thought is uh, so from what you've said, not all organic produce is equal. <laughs> I can just imagine people listening to this saying. So what can I do? You know, how do I know if my Absolutely. if my food is nutrient dense or not? Is there people they can call or are there questions they can ask how how do they know?
2: Well, partly, you know, a couple th- a few things that I recommend mm-hmm. with organic food. Buy it as much as possible, buy it from farmers you know. Mm-hmm. Second best is Buy it from companies that you trust to make sure that they're buying it from farmers. They know. Avoid cheap imports from overseas, especially places like China. Mm
0: -hmm. So if
2: you go buy organic food at, say, Walmart or Costco, 99% chance it's imported from somewhere like China or, you know, Chile or someplace like that.
0: Mm Mm-hmm
2: because they can't sell organic food that cheap without it being imported from somewhere like that. There is no, those people are just being forced to do this. They don't have the technology, um, the organic technology that we have. And they're doing it just by obeying the rules. Sometimes if there's not fraud involved, Mm -hmm. they're, they're obeying the rules, possibly the paperwork's in order, but you know, and I'm not saying it's 100% universal. There's, there's a few good organic farmers in China, but it's the exception, not the rule.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And,
2: you know, here we, you know, organic farmers in the U.S., in order to stay in business, unless they're doing some kind of a, um, triple, uh, triple year scheme, which does happen. There's conv- people that are basically conventional farmers. They'll, Load their farms up with chemicals and weed control and everything. And then they'll plant alfalfa for three years to get it certified to organic. Then they'll plant a couple of grain crops and they'll go back to conventional again. And that's part, that's their rotation.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay.
2: Wow. So it's a way to kind of to trick the system. You don't really need a lot of chemicals uh, on alfalfa. And so they'll, when they pull out their alfalfa crop, then, you know, they'll plant a couple of, years of grain it's really you know it's kind of a again it's one of those ways where what's not in the soil Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm, good mm -hmm. organic farmers that have been in it for a long time they have learned and they've had to and the technology is available now to treat your soil right and create nutrient-dense food and it's really the only way we can stay in business because a healthy crop is what it's all about we're Mm -hmm. not in order to even get good quality products, we have to have healthy plants. In order to have healthy plants, we have to have healthy microbes.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Healthy microbes creates plenty of minerals
0: mm-hmm. for the plant
2: mm-hmm. to uptake, and we get healthy food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of a that's that's the cycle.
0: Right. So know
2: know your farmer. Don't buy don't buy cheap imports from Companies that don't give a rip about organic, they're just in it for the money because there's, they can see bigger dollar signs on organic. So, you know, not just, not just picking on those two, but, but you kind of know who those guys are. hmm mm-hmm. The, you know, the conventional retailers, if you will, that have switched to some organic stuff to try to, you know, put more money in the bottom line. hmm because they're getting the cheapest stuff they can. Right. As right. long as it has paperwork, they don't care.
1: Yeah. And that's probably pretty easy to get. You, I didn't realize you um, deliver to, what, 37 or 38 states now?
2: We do. I thought it yeah. was
1: just Oregon and Washington. <laughs> I didn't realize. So um, maybe you could explain a little bit about how because you have, it's kind of like an independent organic food distribution network, right? And if people are interested in purchasing some of their food through you, how would they, how would they do that? How does this work?
2: Absolutely. Uh, give us a call. Uh, we, can, uh, we can do it. Uh, we can ship directly to you. But the really cool thing is we have a network of deliveries all over the country. And we send full truckloads of products out and deliver it in local communities. So we call them community drop points.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So you can get products into your local community wherever you are, mostly all of the United States, except the eastern seaboard, say, North Virginia and North.
1: Okay.
2: You know, we, we do the Carolinas uh, and then everything West for the most part.
1: Okay, that's good to
2: few, know. few little holes, but for the most part, everything, you know, west of, um, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, so we can put you in touch with a, with a, uh, drop in your local community or you can start your own.
1: That's what I was going to say. If there isn't anything near you, somebody could decide to start their own drop, right?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we, we love that, do that all the time. And we'd be happy to, you know, happy to help you with that. But we'll deliver the organic foods at a regular schedule into your community uh, directly from the warehouse. Uh, never has to sit on a retail shelf, never has to sit and get old, and you never have to wonder where it came from.
1: And also, because there isn't a middle person, I find the prices to be extremely fair. I mean, that's, that's one of the things that I really appreciate about you guys is that I, I really feel like not only am I – Purchasing high quality products, but I'm I'm not being overcharged. Uh, the prices are very fair.
2: Well, we try to be as as fair as we can, and I'm not out here to tell you that you can't find cheaper stuff at at Walmart. Um, that's organic, but you won't find the same quality. Mm-hmm. I believe we give the best value that we can possibly give. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's that's our goal is to give you the very best value. We're not going to cut any corners on anything. We're not going to sell you something that, you know, we're not going to tell you, you know, is imported. You know, we do, we do carry products that are imported, mm-hmm. um, even from China, like pumpkin seeds, for instance, but that's the traditional place where pumpkin seeds have always grown.
0: Oh, I didn't know It's
2: in, in China.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That's their traditional dish, as mm-hmm. are, are mung beans and adzuki beans. Mm-hmm. So there'll mm-hmm. be a few things that we carry, but they're the more traditional things Mm -hmm. we're not buying cheap imports just because they're cheap imports got it and we'll never do that we have a relationship with most of the farmers we work with we work Mm -hmm. with a lot of farmers around the company country and we do of course sell quite a few other branded goods too to just round out the the line so Mm -hmm. you can get Mm -hmm. whatever you want so you can get pretty much anything you'd find in a you know in a natural food supermarket as well
1: my favorite organic protein bars I get from you.
2: (laughs) Okay. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So what's the best way, how would you prefer that people try to contact you? And I'm also going to put all of this information on the podcast website, but if somebody just wants to jot down a phone number or a web, a a web address right now.
2: Yeah. So the, the, um, phone number here and, um, Give us a call anytime time. It's 971-200-8350, and the uh, web address is azurestandard.com. That's A-Z-U-R-E standard, S-T-A-N-D-A-R-D.com.
1: Great. And I'll have all that information on the website. And David, this has been so enlightening. I'm so grateful that uh, I was actually speaking to one of your customer service people, and she gave me your email address. She thought I should talk to you. So (laughs) I'm really grateful that the chain of events has connected us and that you've taken the time to to do this. I really hope that we can help educate people and, um, and change some people's lives. And thank you so much.
2: Well, thank you, and I appreciate your dedication to getting the message out about healthier foods and these agents like glyphosate. Thanks for what you do.
1: Oh, thank you, and thank you so much. You take care.
2: All right, you too.